Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Thank you for being with us. A couple things before we get going is one, I know it sounds like a jet engine in this room, but I promise you, you would rather have the jet engine than what it felt like when we walked in here this morning as about 100 degrees. But no, anyway, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, so grateful that Stillwater has opened this facility to us just to proclaim the gospel and to proclaim the goodness of God. Before we get going, I want to say this, that it is Caroline's birthday today. It is her big number 30. So if we can wish her happy birthday, that would be amazing. Happy birthday, Caroline. I would sing, but no one wants that in this room. So maybe you guys should sing. But just super glad you guys are here. Thank you for joining us. If, if this is your first time, man, we're just excited that you're here. It was October 29th, 2017 in Minute Maid Park. It was game five of the World Series where the Astros were playing the Dodgers. This was before the whole cheating scandal. So I was actually at the ACLS game six and seven when they played the Yankees. And I'm telling you, the atmosphere was unbelievable. And I kind of became an Astros fan in that moment, even though I'm from Montana. But I'm a little disappointed with what happened in Houston sports. But anyway, that's beside the point. This was game five. Bill Miller was the home plate umpire, and he was behind the plate. That year, he was known for calling 151 third strikes, the most in MLB all season. The problem was is lots of these strikes that were called were actually balls. They were very poor pitches. And he was known this year as calling horrible strike calls. Well, this is not a good time in game five, top of the fifth, when the game is tied four to four. And there were 12 very angry, frustrated, and confused Dodgers players that were getting called out on a third strike that was clearly a ball. Seven of them actually with just their bat on their shoulders having no idea what had just occurred. One of the worst might have been uh, Kai Hernandez who got a curveball thrown at him and he literally had to dodge it or it would have hit his left leg and it was called a strike and the ump blew, called him out and all of a sudden the, all the opposing fans that were in Minute Maid are screaming, are you blind ump? Are you blind? How did you miss that call? That was clearly a ball, and this is causing us to lose. See, all season, it appeared as if Bill Miller was getting great joy out of using his power and his authority to call this third strike to call the batter out. I mean, he was hands down far above any other ump in the MLB for third strike calls. It ended up, the Astros ended up winning the World Series in game seven, and there was a whole lot of are you blind ump shouts going on. But see, we tend to do the same thing, and we tend also to be quick in calling out the sin and other people's shortcomings. We often feel pretty good about our lives, right, until someone else does something and we love to throw the third strike. We love to call someone out. We like to call a strike a strike and a ball a ball with a contingent outcome. But thank God that he does not look at us this way. 
See, unlike Bill Miller, God is not strike happy. He is not looking to throw you out at all costs, at every failure, at every shortcoming, at every mistake. He's not the home plate umpire saying, oh man, that was way off, but strike three, you're out, see you later, sayonara. In fact, we're going to see the exact opposite, that God does not keep count of strikes if you are in him. If you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, if, you, if your sin has been atoned for, he does not see strikes. He does not see your failures. He does not see your struggles. He sees your struggles, but he cares for your struggles, and he does not disown you when you disown him. See, if God was strike happy, every one of us would be struck out. Every one of us. You want proof that God loves you? He has not struck you out yet. He's still pursuing you. He's still after your heart because he is not strike happy. See, in God's economy, grace and mercy produce the most are you blind ump uprisings that we have ever seen. People can't understand it. Why would God extend so much grace, so much mercy? Why would God bless someone? Or why would, why would it appear like God is doing something? See, we cannot understand this. Maybe you're in a situation and you were going to forgive your spouse for cheating on you and a friend comes up and says, are you blind? Look at what they did to you. They've already struck out. Kick them to the curb. Right? Or I'm going to apologize for how I treated my coworker. Are you kidding me? Look at what they did to you. They deserved it. Or I'm going to forgive my best friend who has betrayed me and altered my entire life. And someone might say, are you nuts? They don't deserve you anyway. Can't you see that? They struck out a long time ago. Are you blind? What we're going to see this morning is that God relentlessly pursues his people, and he is not a home plate umpire standing behind the plate looking to throw the final strike to just kick you out. He comes after you. He pursues you because he wants your heart. See, while others and yourself may see your strikes, the voice of the enemy is screaming, are you blind, Dump? Are you blind, God? Can you not see how they have rejected you, how they have run from you, how they have denied you, as we will see, how they have betrayed you, as Peter has done? Come on, give them what they deserve, the enemy screams. Horrible call, they failed, and you know it. And you know what God says? He says, remind them, well... You may have swung, it doesn't count against you if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's already been paid for, and the last time I checked, the only one that matters on the third strike count is the one who has the authority to throw it. And Jesus is saying that he does not count strikes if you are in him and if you have believed upon him as your Savior. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open to John chapter 18, starting in verse 15 is where we're going to start this morning. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I know for a fact there's some people in this room that are hurting. God, I know for a fact that there's some people not here this morning that are also deeply hurting. 
And it's very easy to sometimes feel like you are against us, that you are coming against us, God. That you're just looking to throw us out. And God, I pray by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit that you would reveal and you would convey who you are this morning, God. And if there's someone in this room that does not know you, that has never placed their faith and their trust in you, God, that today would be the day that changes the rest of their life that they would see you as a God who pursues his people at all costs and just asks us to believe and surrender. So God, we give you this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. We don't know who this other disciple is. Some people think it may have been John because there's different things in this text that we're going to see that kind of speak to an eyewitness account. All we know is that Peter was with a disciple who was close to the high priest. The only way that he was allowed into through the door to where the high priest was was because the high priest knew him. But here's Peter and he doesn't know the high priest. So he stops at the door because this little servant girl will not let him in. And it's interesting that this little servant girl asks, are you not one of his disciples as well? Keep in mind, this is Peter who just previously had a sword in his hand and cut off Malchus's ear in defense of Jesus. He was very strong, he was very bold, he was defending Jesus at all costs, and now he comes to this place and he's intimidated by a little servant girl. It's amazing how the tides, how the, how the tides have changed. It's also interesting that we would know that this was probably speaking of the high priest's personal atrium because only men guarded the door in the temple. This was a little servant girl. So they were probably going into this high priest's home to discuss why they had just hauled Jesus to him. Verse 18, now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues, in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. I have hid nothing from you. You know everything that I have tried to convey. Verse 21, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I have said. It's interesting, in this time, Jesus himself could not stand as his own witness. 
In trial and court, first they went to the defendant's witnesses and asked for a testimony, and then they went to the witnesses of those bringing accusations against him. So Jesus, really, if we look at this, all he's doing is asking for a fair trial. It was also illegal, and we know that this was probably at night, because they had just arrested Jesus in the garden, and they brought him straight to the high priest. It was also illegal to do these secret court proceedings at night, as they're sitting around a fire, as they're bringing Jesus into the high priest. It's almost as if they're plotting, they're trying to find some sort of false accusation to bring against him to charge him. So here they are around this charcoal fire. It's interesting, John is the only one that mentions this was a charcoal fire, which could also reference that he was the eyewitness, the disciple who knew the high priest, who went into this and invited Peter to come in. Maybe or maybe not, we don't know. But Jesus is essentially asking for a fair trial. Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is this how you answer the high priest? This word struck literally means with the flat of your hand, just swatting someone as hard as you can. And I find it very interesting that this servant comes and says, is this how you respond to the high priest? Notice Jesus did not say, is this how you treat the great high priest? Slapping me with an open hand, beating me in the face for something that I really have not done, trying to bring false accusations against me, doing it in secret, illegally. But the amazing thing is Jesus does not fight back. He does not rebuttal. He simply makes a statement. Jesus answered him. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. See, this is quite a different response than we saw Paul respond when he got slapped in the face. The great Paul, the fighter of the faith. Acts 23, if you have your Bibles, 1 through 5, says this, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded that those who stood by him strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it was written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler to your people. All this to say this, Paul had a reason to apologize for slapping the high priest in the face. In fact, he called him a whitewashed wall. Jesus had no reason to apologize for anything. He took it, he stood there and took it as he was slapped in the face for something he did not do, and he responded by just saying, man, if what I said I'm wrong, bear witness to what I'm wrong, call my witnesses. Referring back to, I've done everything in the open, I have hidden nothing from you, I've conveyed it all to the world, nothing has been done in secret. 
See, for Jesus to be brought before Pilate, legal accusation must be brought by the reigning high priest. So this was the next step in Jesus being delivered to be crucified. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off previously asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it and at once the rooster crowed. I can just see it, Peter sitting around a fire, the flames burning and all of a sudden a, a flicker of light comes through Peter's face and someone across the fire looks at him and like, huh, you look very familiar. Are you the one that cut off Malchus's ear? Are you the one that was actually standing and fighting for Jesus hours ago? I swear that was you, I swear that's who it was, and now you've denied him three times to a servant girl and then to us? Peter, how weak, how cowardice of you. This man who was bold in his faith, who was fighting to protect the heart of his king, of his savior, is now denying him hours later before a servant girl and the very servants that he was fighting hours ago. Sound familiar? We do the same thing. There's moments in our life that we are fighting for the things of God, we are fighting for the heart of God, and hours later it's like, do you even know him? But the amazing thing is, as we're going to see this morning, is I want you to see the heart of God for people like me that have done things like Peter. The God who does not keep a strike count. Peter could have struck out, he struck out three times. Denied him once, denied him twice, denied him three times, and we're going to see how Jesus responds to him post-denial. It's stunning. So if you're taking notes, or before I go, before we, before we apply this, I want to say this, that John makes no mention to the oaths or curses that Peter said. Mark does. We see in Mark 14. As Peter was denying Jesus, as he was being questioned around the fire, if he was the guy who cut off Malchus's ear, he began, Mark 14 says, he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak, like vehemently denying him. And then we also see in every other gospel except for John, Peter's response post denial, and this is going to be very important as we move into this application. I want you to hear this. In Matthew 26, 75, it says, and Peter remembered Jesus saying, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, and then it says this, and he went out and wept bitterly. How about Mark 14, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Luke twenty-two sixty-one. and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter was right by Jesus, as in the garden. And Peter, remember Peter, Jesus is in the courtyard with Peter as Peter is denying Jesus. 
Peter and the other disciple are there. And so Luke's account is, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter the t after he denied him the third time. I don't think he looked at him with these eyes of blazing fire judgment. I think he looked at him with kindness and love. And God's kindness, when he looked at Peter, struck Peter's heart so deeply with a sharper than any sword could strike. And this was his response. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then it says this, and he went out and wept bitterly. This is amazing. The fact that Peter had known what he had done and it caused him to weep. Not just weep, but weep bitterly for he had denied his king. And as we're gonna see a brokenness for sin, a brokenness for denial, a brokenness for rejecting Jesus is proof that we are his. We should be broken over our sin as we reject him. But God does not keep a strike count. He comes and says, let's keep going. Let's keep fighting. I know you denied me, but I'm here for you. Let's move forward together. So what's the two things we see? Is number one is this, God's love is stronger than your denial. God's love for you is stronger than your denial of him in your weakest moment of your life. Peter loved Jesus. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus predicted in John 13 that Peter was going to deny him three times. But it's very interesting if we look back at that, listen to what Jesus said, John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow after. You will follow post-resurrection, post me defeating sin and death. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not gonna lay down your life for me, but I'm gonna lay down my life for you. I'm gonna pay for that denial. I'm gonna pay for your weak moment. And I know some of you may be thinking right now, but Luke, doesn't somewhere it say, when Jesus returns, he's gonna say, many prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name. And then it'll lead you to think, well, Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge you before my Father and angels in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father and the angels in heaven. It seems to contradict. Jesus did not deny Peter because of Peter's denial for Jesus. Yet in another place, it sounds like that's the case. Context is key. Jesus is saying, if you deny me before men, if you do not confess me as Lord, if you do not confess me as Savior, if you try to run your own life, when you come to the end of your life, you will be separated from me forever. That's denying Jesus, that's denying what he has paid, but that is different than Peter's weak moment. He, is, he loves 
his savior. He loves his king, yet in a moment of weakness, he denies him. And Jesus, as we're going to see later, comes back and totally restores him. It's stunning. It's amazing. See, Jesus, knowing Peter would deny him, said, you will follow me where I am going later, after I have paid for your sin. Think about it. Here's Peter, the one who previously chopped off a servant's ear, fought vehemently for God. As we saw last week, God does not need to be guarded nor protected. He is sufficient. But Peter is fighting for his God and now in a moment of weakness denies him three times, just as Jesus said he would do. In a moment of weakness, courageous Peter became coward Peter, vehemently fighting for his Lord and now bowing in fear. Sounds familiar. See, if we're honest, we have all had moments just like Peter, moments where we are bold in our faith and later coward in fear, maybe even denying the faith that we previously professed. And in that moment, I want you to hear this, it does not come as a shock to God. It's not like he wakes up one day and is like, oh man, I never saw that one come and that one hit me like a tornado in the side of the face. Right? It doesn't shock him. He is sovereign, he is over all, he is in everything, and he sees it all from before you were conceived till the day that you die, he sees it all. His denial does not shock him, and yet he still chose to come and redeem you in that. But you have to believe upon him, and you have to turn from your sin and confess him as Lord. See, he loves you through it, looking at us like he did Peter with love and kindness in his eyes. And it's in this kind of love that causes us, and hear this, to weep over our denial. You want to know how I know Peter was deeply convicted of what he had just done? Because all other Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that immediately upon Peter's denial, he broke down and he wept bitterly. He knew what he had done. He knew that he had just denied his Lord, that he had just denied his king, and it caused him brokenness. Did you know that one of the marks of a believer is that our sin breaks us? That our sin causes us to come to a place where it's like, woe is me, God. I love you. I fight for you. In fact, I... I've done everything, maybe at others' expense, like we talked about last week. I love you, God. But then I deny you two hours later. And Jesus comes alongside and says, I have paid for that if you are in me. But our sin ought to cause us to weep. It ought to cause us brokenness, knowing that we have rejected our Savior. If it does not, we need to question if we are truly in Christ or not. But it's in his great love that he is pursuing us. See, Peter's weeping revealed his brokenness. And the same type of brokenness over our denial of him, weeping over our rejection of him, reveals that we are his. It's amazing that God in his kindness, and notice it was his love that spurred this weeping. 
wasn't his judgment, wasn't his wrath. Jesus just looks at Peter, just looks at him. And Peter immediately knows what he has done, and it caused him to weep. See, it was his kindness that led to repentance. It was his love that drove Peter to weep. Not this angry guy in the sky who is looking to smite you at every opportunity to throw the last strike, even if it's a ball over the top of the backstop. <laughs> Sometimes we view God that way. But in God's love, in Jesus' eyes, it brought Peter to a place of repentance, and he had realized what he had done, and it caused him to weep. See, a brokenness for sin reveals that you are his, and if you are his, a moment of weakness cannot steal his love for you. But rather, his love will lead you to a place of brokenness over your sin. And that's exactly what it did to Peter. And it's in your brokenness that he sweetly reminds you that you are his. But if you have never been broken over your sin or your rejection of him or your denial of him, it very well could be that you are not in him. Sin causes us to weep when we see the price which Jesus paid to atone for it. It has to. And that's exactly what it did for Peter, knowing Jesus was going to the cross. He, Jesus has been telling him all about it. Maybe he couldn't process it nor understand it, but all he knows is Jesus did not smite him with his look. He just looked at him and it cut to his heart. His kindness led to repentance. See, the amazing thing, as we saw last week, is that God cares for those who do not care about him in moments of weakness. Even if your heart is numb towards him, you enjoy your rejection of him, you have no remorse for your sin, and you deny him openly, he's still pursuing you. He's still desiring your heart. That's why he came. That's why he died, was to set you free. Just because you've written him off does not mean he has written you off. As long as there's still breath in your lungs, he is desiring to call you home. He's desiring to blot out your sin. He's desiring to make you white as snow, to give you life that only he can give. Or maybe you're in him this morning and you have, in a moment of weakness, denied him. Maybe at work this week, maybe in your family, maybe before your friends, maybe a sin that no one knows about that really just denies that you know him. But you're saved, you've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and you're saved, and you're just struggling. I want you to hear this, that it's God's kindness that reveals sin, and, but even in your betrayal and even in your denial, he pursues you because he wants your heart. And it doesn't have to be your final scene. He wants to restore you and give you life. Number two is this. He does not keep a strike count. See, some of us view God as this home plate umpire bent down behind the catcher with a strike counter in his hand and just looking at him and, oh, look at that mess up, strike one. Can you believe he just did that? Strike two. I can't believe you just denied me. Strike three, you're out. See ya. If God did that, we would all be out. Trust me, I would have been out a long time ago. <laughs> See, God doesn't have a strike counter. He doesn't have fingers behind his back. He doesn't 
have a display, a scoreboard displaying full count is your last chance. If you mess up this, you're gone. God does not keep a strike count if you are in him, if you have been sealed in him, if you have turned from your sin and believed him as Lord, he does keep, he keeps no record of wrong. Because the blood of the lamb has washed over your sin. The strike count has been accomplished on the cross. The cross counted your strikes. There's not a big enough strike counter to count enough strikes for us. Jesus accomplished it all. In fact, you don't even get an out for stepping out of the batter's box too early. I'm playing men's league softball right now, and it amazes me how many times we have got called out because apparently we hit the ball or we step out of the batter's box before we make connection with the ball, and that's an out, and it's an out. But some of us think God views us that way. Oh, you see that? See that little white line? You just stepped right over that. Your pinky toe made it over. I saw that. Some of the umps are literally like that, I swear. They're like, oh, that white line, I saw the dust move, you're out. That's not God. God is not here with a magnifying glass looking for every one of your mistakes just to kick you to the curb and throw you out. He's pursuing you. He does not keep a strike count if you are in him because your sins have been atoned for completely. See, if you're in him, his pitch counter, his strike counter says this. Oh man, he messed up, grace. Can you believe he did that? Mercy. See how he treated his wife? Forgiveness. I cannot believe that someone like him would do that. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. It's the heart of God. It does not minimize sin. It's that sin has been atoned for on the cross. And if you are not in Jesus, your strike counter will continue to count until the day you die. And if you have never believed on him, if you have never turned from your sin and turned to him, when you die, you will be struck out. But it's not for a lack of God's love pursuing you. It's that you just decide to keep swinging on your own strength and on your own power, thinking you could do it all by yourself. That's the difference. If you're in Christ, the strike is grace, mercy, forgiveness. If you're not in Christ, it's strike one, strike two, strike three, strike four, strike five. But it doesn't matter how many, strikes are infinite until the day you die. And in a moment, even if you have 10 hundred million strikes against you, if that's a number, God erases them and says, atone for, bought by the blood of the Lamb. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. The only difference is, have you believed and turned from your sin and turned to Jesus? See, he can count this way because you have been forgiven. And if not, you'll go to the grave without his forgiveness and will strike out. He keeps no record of wrongs for those who have been redeemed, Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions, our transgressions from us. 
Hebrews 6.12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. See, Peter denied Jesus three times. In the baseball world, three strikes is an out. It just is. It's the reality of it. But I want you to hear this. As serious as Peter's disowning of Jesus was, the grace by which Jesus forgave and restored him once again to fellowship and service was even greater. It was greater. This was not Peter's final scene. His denial did not define him. Jesus defined him. His denial did not leave Peter where he was at, as we're about to see. Jesus comes before Peter post-resurrection, eats with him again around a charcoal fire, John says, that surely reminded him of his denial and comes before him and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus countered Peter's denial with a personal face-to-face interaction and said, do you love me? One for each denial. Like, I can't comprehend that. If someone comes against me, the first thing that my flesh wants to do is come against them is to pay, repay them for what they have done, right? You've denied me. You're my best friend. You denied me. I want nothing to do with you. Not Jesus. It's not Jesus. See, after Jesus had risen, he revealed himself to seven of his disciples once again. They were fishing as often they were. And like me, they were not catching much. <laughs> so Jesus shows up on the scene and says, oh, why don't you throw the net on the other side? And all of a sudden, they have a whole net full of fish. And what does Jesus say as Peter is with them? Hey, you guys want to do breakfast? You want to do breakfast? It's on me. We all saw how you did it. Throw your net to the other side. This, this one's on me, guys. Hey, Peter. You know, the Peter that denied Jesus, Jesus said, hey, this one's on me. Come and sit around this fire, and I want us to see in John 21, and I think we have this for the, for the screens, what it says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He loved him, but he just previously denied him. He said to him, Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? By this time, Peter's probably getting very annoyed, thinking, you've already asked me this twice. How many times do I have to answer? But listen to this, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. This is not documented, but if I was thinking about this, if I was Peter, number three would see, be something very significant to me, seeing that after my last third denial, the rooster crowed exactly as Jesus said it was going to, and his, he looks at me with kindness in his eyes, and all of a sudden, I am just broken and melted to the floor, weeping before him. 
because of the third denial. So maybe the reason Peter was grieved was he was thinking about that, that he had denied Jesus three times. Now this is the third time Jesus has asked, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Jesus is like, oh, I know that, trust me. <laughs> you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him the kind of death that he was going to pay, what, what, what Jesus had come to do to glorify the Father. Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for sin. And then he says this, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He did not say, you're done, Peter. You've messed up one too many times. You denied me three times. He said, follow me. Follow me. And say, I'm kicking you to the curb. He said, follow me. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Almost as if he didn't, Jesus didn't even remember what Peter had done. I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus asked him this three times. See, Jesus had every right to disown Peter, for Peter had disowned him. But he didn't. He came back alongside him and said, do you love me? Follow me. See, your denial or rejection of him does not have to be your final scene either. Thank God for that. That in a moment of weakness, that in a moment of struggle, when you have extremely, you have fiercely messed up. Maybe you came in this room this morning and you said, I'm done with God. I'm going to give him one more chance, but I'm done with him. I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to deny him. He is pursuing you. And he loves you, and that doesn't have to be your final scene. He wants to restore it. If you will turn from your sin, if you will turn to him, he will heal what only he can heal. He will do what only he can do. See, if you are in him, God does not keep count of your strikes, your failures, every time you have denied or rejected him, but rather he reminds you of his love for you. It's his love that breaks a heart of stone and gives it a heart of flesh so that we might be broken over our sin, being reminded that we are his. Please hear this. God takes sin very, very seriously. It was sin that sent him to the cross. It was our need to be restored that sent him to the cross. This is not some cheap grace license to sin gospel. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will turn from your sin and you will turn to me. You won't live in that sin, you won't be entrenched in that sin, but you will turn to me and believe in me. And even when you mess up, because you still will, you'll sin till the day you die, 
If you are in Christ, if you have trusted him, if you are striving to be more like him, if you are striving for righteousness, if you are striving to just be more like Jesus, he says, even in your moment of weakness, come follow me. I'm fighting for you. I'm here for you. See, here's the deal. That we need to be reminded that while we may count our own strikes, he does not if you are sealed by the blood of Jesus. He does not keep a strike count because all strikes have been counted and all your strikes were counted as Jesus hung on the cross. They were all counted, every one of them, and he removed them all. Even your moment of your greatest weakness, he removed it and atoned for it and set you free. But if you are not in him, if you have not believed upon the finished work of Jesus, every single strike will be counted against you. And one of the ways that we might be able to tell if we are still under the strike count is if we have never been broken over our sin. When Peter denied Jesus and Jesus looked at him, it caused him to weep bitterly knowing what he had just done. Sin must be atoned for, the strikes must be counted, and your strikes are only counted if you have believed upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. As he exploded from the grave to give you life. But if you're not in him this morning, you will continue to run from his love, You'll run your own life and reject his free gift of salvation. And at the time of your death, all your strikes will be counted. For you decided, not him, you, you decided that you wanted to run from them. You wanted the strikes counted on your behalf, not Christ's. And your death will be the day that you strike out. But it doesn't have to be. Jesus has done everything possible to set you free. Walk and live in it. Believe him, turn from your sin, weep over your sin, and feel his loving kindness wrap around you and say, I'm here for you, I'm fighting for you, even in your denial, I love you. Even in your greatest moment of weakness, I'm here for you. You may have denied me, but if you are in me, I have not denied you. Pursue me and watch as I do what only I can do, as we wrap up, the band wants to come up, he's not looking to throw you out. God is not looking to throw you out. Ezekiel 33:11. say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked might turn from his ways and live. God is not in here this morning looking to throw you out. Trust me, if he wanted to throw you out, you'd have been out a long time ago. The fact that you're in this room, the fact that there is breath in your lungs proves that he is still pursuing you, that he is still after you, that he is still wanting your heart, that he is still wanting everything about you so that he can come alongside of you and say, hey, let's do this together. Let's do it together. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's his words, not mine. 
but some of us believe in this God that thinks he's just in the sky looking down and looking to rain wrath upon our lives and using every mistake that we've made as an excuse. If you are in Jesus, he does not keep count of your strikes. You might, but he does not. And he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he desires that all would live. So if you're in here this morning and if you have never given your heart to Jesus, today is the day. You're not guaranteed another breath. You're not guaranteed another hour. And if you have never believed upon him as your Savior and Lord, in this moment, if you walk out of here and die and you are not in him, your strikes will be all counted against you and you will be separated from him. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that Jesus wants to call you home. And if you're a believer in this place, know this, don't beat yourself up. The enemy loves to beat us up by the things that Jesus has already atoned for. He loves to look at our failures and say, how wretched, look at you, you sinner, and he screams in your ear. There's no way God could forgive a sinner like you. Are you blind, dumb? He says to God, are you blind, God? Look at that guy. Look at that girl. Screaming in your ear and just remind him that your sin has been atoned for, that you are purchased by the blood of the Lamb, that no hell, no darkness, no, no anything can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise that he has given to his people, that he has given to his church. Do you believe it? Do you believe that your denial is not greater than his love? Do you believe that your rejection is not greater than his love? Because if you are sealed in Jesus, you are sealed. No hell can strip it. But if you are not in him this morning, if you have never been broken over your sin, I pray to God that the Spirit of God would invade you and cause you to weep over it and surrender your life to the King of glory. Nothing else matters. In all of creation, all of life hinges upon that. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the reminder to me this week, God, that even in my weakest moments, God, that you do not disown me. <laughs> That even if I disown you, you don't disown me. You keep pursuing me and loving me. I thank you for that, God. And I pray in this room that if there's someone in here that knows you and is struggling deeply, that you would remind them that you fight for them, that you would remind them that you are there for him, them. And you would remind them that all their strikes have been counted on the cross. And God, for someone in this room that maybe does not know you, that has never wept over their sin, that has openly rejected you, or maybe even their form of rejection is just refusing to believe. That's to reject. To not be for you is to be against you. Maybe there's someone in this room that says, I've been in church my whole life, and I know this gospel thing. But they've never given their life. They've never been broken over their sin. Maybe they're entrenched in sin and they've never been broken over it. God, I pray for the power of your spirit that you would invade this room right now by your tender kindness, by your consuming love, and that you would come alongside and that you would look at them, look at their hearts with your kindness and the same love that you looked at Peter, and it would cause great and deep conviction that would set them free. 
God, I thank you for what you have done in this place. I thank you that you are faithful, and I thank you that you are good. Be honored in this place. Do what only you can do. Heal what is broken and put the pieces back together. That you would restore the years the locusts have destroyed. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.